The Grancidillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. I just have one question for Leslie and then I want to open the floor because I know so many of you have uh, questions you would like to ask related to some of the things that uh, Leslie mentioned in her remarks but probably about other things as well. But the, the one question I wanted to ask you, um, you were talking at the end of your remarks about being willing to partner with anybody and work with anybody. So I would just say, you know, when you look across this room, we're sort of average everyday citizens and customers of Anthem Blue Cross or other insurers. What can we do as consumers of health care, as sort of average citizens in California or other, in other places, to be a part of the solution to help bring this to some kind of resolution that makes sense and actually helps solve the problems? I think there are a number of things that you can do and, and you can think about it from a, a university perspective and you can think of it from a, a, just a purely individual perspective. I think each of us could play a role in reframing the debate. And I think that's the single most important thing that we can do. Um, it is, uh, it is, it, it reminds me of sort of look over here, look over here, you know, this is the issue. So we don't have to get at the real issues in the healthcare reform debate, and we need to. So I think talking uh, with friends and family, talking in your communities, with legislators, with regulators, not buying into um, sort of the hype and insisting, insisting of them and insisting of me that we get down to the real discussion and, and the real solutions. I think that's the most important thing you can do. I, I also, um, after my testimony, and that was one of the hardest days of my life, um, and I went to the airport and uh, was sitting there and uh, I was kind of tired, <laughs> as you might imagine. And, uh, you know, they had a panel of uh, Anthem consumers who had come up just before me and, uh, at, at, the, at the hearing hall. And one of the women uh, on that panel who I'd noticed, I recognized her because I saw her with a microphone up to her, her mouth, and she came up to me in the airport after I spoke, and she said, you, you, I'm so sorry what you had to, to go through. Um, I, I, for the first time, having heard you speak, for the first time, I have faith that we can actually solve the healthcare crisis. And she said, the only thing I was disappointed about in your remarks is you didn't ask for consumers' help. And I was struck, because I hadn't. Mm -hmm. I talked about everybody else that I thought of a stakeholder, and I talked about patients, but I hadn't talked about people as consumers of insurance and care. Um, so I, I've learned an important lesson through her words, and uh, I, I intend to include consumers in helping us think about this. And, and so in that respect, just as individuals, if, if we ask for help, please come and, and share your thoughts and your experiences and your advice about how the healthcare system has served or not served you. Wonderful. Open it to the audience. Who would like to kick us off this evening? Yes, sir. This is just a, uh, I'm a, uh, a policyholder of, of, of Blue Cross and uh, I also have cancer, which is kind of like, my, my question is, I was listening to a, a program uh, yesterday, and, and somebody mentioned in California, uh, they have uh, uh, cancer insurance, and it's, uh, it's being 
somehow uh, uh, created was created in Sacramento or something like that. But I think that it's the first time I've ever heard of it, and and they said that, that nobody likes it because it's too expensive. But but I was just thinking to myself, well, I I've never even been told about it, and and and. Even uh, the hospital that I go to, they never mentioned. Nobody's ever mentioned. Nobody's ever mentioned it to me until I heard this little blurb, and I go, "Well, this is interesting." <laughs> I said, "Now we're going to hear from the president of the company, and maybe she can, uh, she can." <coughs> I mean, it's kind of a weird, maybe it's a weird question. But no, I, I mean it's a legitimate question about what are the products that are out there, and how do you learn about them in the system? So you know, speak to he, he had a particular particular question about cancer policies that are there and I actually know we have them at Pepperdine that are available to purchase as a supplemental to our insurance so it's, an I, in, it's I, a great question. It's a great question I actually don't know the answer but I have a man on my team who does who is a graduate of Pepperdine so you can. Uh, Mark, you, uh, sure uh, Anthem Blue Cross does not offer what they're, they're typically called their critical illness policies um, so uh, Anthem Blue Cross doesn't offer them, and a lot of the major insurance companies in California and elsewhere don't. Where you find critical illness policies are typically through, uh, and I don't know that they do, but like your Aflacs and uh, Colonials and Transamericas, and what they'll do is they'll, they'll provide um, critical illness or accident coverage, um, and obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's much like life insurance, you're basically, um, paying a premium and there's a, a risk associated with it that some subset of their population will develop whatever that condition is that they're paying the policy for and if you happen to get cancer then that triggers the policy and you get a payout of some sort but we don't offer that coverage and many of our competitors don't either. Thanks Mark. Very helpful. Let me go back here and then I'll come back. Um, I know this topic can lead to a long discussion but um, I have an interest in um, what role you thought alternate dispute resolutions such as arbitration could have on tort reform and what your thoughts were very generally? Uh, the question was what role might uh, alternative dispute resolution have in the world of, of tort reform. Uh, I, I am such a proponent of, of alternative uh, dispute resolution in any of its form, be it arbitration, be it mediation, be it uh, just sitting down and engaging in what I would call an interest-based problem-solving process. Uh, I, I think it has an enormous role. I think people are afraid of arbitration because they feel that it will narrow their rights. And uh, I think we have to, have to protect against having that happen. Um, but the opportunity to resolve disputes on a more amicable basis to figure out what went wrong uh, to, to make it so that people and organizations aren't afraid to say they're sorry for having made a mistake. I think it's one of the worst problems in the industry, is in, in any industry. Um, a fear of litigation and fear of kind of the punitive damages that flow from that um, make it almost impossible for people who are harmed and people who have in one way or another caused harm to sit down and figure out what happened and how can we make sure it never happens again and, 
and, and that's the debate, that's the inquiry we should be having. So I, I, I think there's an enormous role to play. I think you're right. I mean, it is the stuff that, that, uh, that, that books are written, uh, big books and lots of books are written about, but I think it's an important part of the debate. I keep hearing that Medicare doesn't pay its way. Uh, how far below, uh, say, what you would pay a hospital is Medicare? Well, eighty percent is it? I I think that in virtually any hospital, any medical group, any situation, there would be a different number, but but the numbers that are most often quoted by hospitals and medical groups are probably in the 20 or 30 percent range that there's that much of a, of a cost shift. Yeah. Edna. Uh, you talked about doctors practicing. Speak up just a little bit. I'll speak make sure. You talked about doctors practicing um, defensive medicine. Do you think the answer to that is a capital malpractice or do you, or what, what are your other ideas about that? Uh, the uh, the question was uh, do about doctors uh, practicing defensive medicine, and what what might I think would the cap be? Uh, would the answer be? Would it be a cap on uh, malpractice liability? Um, you know, many states uh, have caps on malpractice liability. There are all different variations on that theme. Um, I, I actually think the the question that was asked a moment ago is probably. Uh, uh, a bigger part of the solution, it is um, um, finding a way to have conversation and solution around what are the best courses of treatment, the most successful courses of treatment, uh, the, the highest value courses of treatment, um, so that you could create, there's a, there's a whole body of work, it's called comparative effectiveness, where they look at these kinds of issues and try and figure out uh, through medical evidence what are likely to be the most successful solutions. And I think if we could somehow come to some common understanding about that, then people probably would not be um, as inclined to feel a need to go to, to what I what what is called defensive medicine to doing all other kinds of tests and all other kinds of of courses of treatment uh, because we would be able to come together in a more rational way to think about uh, sort of uh, generally accepted practices of of medicine or successful practices. I'm one of the possibly unusual people here, perhaps than you. I'm one of the individual policy holders that has had my policy since 1992 because I believed very strongly in the insurance system and it was not for profit at the time. And as people may well know, the financing for Blue Cross Anthem and Wellpoint originated in our policies, people like me. So we are the, we're the original policy holders. And so our premiums, 25% were taken and used to cross state lines to buy a state not-for-profits. But now we, we are confined to only buy our health insurance in the state of California. So how can our money go across state lines and purchase other systems, but yet we can't have a competitive ability to even find a better plan for ourselves? By the way, I 
believe strongly our healthcare system is wonderful. And I really believe in, in the insurance system. I don't believe that we should allow our healthcare to be entrusted to a bureaucratic thing. You are committed to healthcare, and thank you very much for that. Thank you. But my question is sincere, and and then how did Blue Cross Anthem become the villain in this relative to this, what's going on in Washington? There are a couple of levels to your question, and I'll answer as, as best I can. And if I miss something, please tell me, and, uh, and I'll, I'll get back to it. The, um, the issue you raise around premium dollars uh, going across state lines, and it, it, that was a big part of, uh, of, of uh, the debate of the uh, testimony at the assembly. You know, we are owned by a company that is headquartered in Indiana, WellPoint. Um, Anthem Blue Cross here in California is owned by them. They are our parent company. As in any other industry, subsidiaries of a, of a parent company, dividend dollars back to that company. The dividended dollars, I, I don't think of them as just dollars going out of state. What I see is a parent company that provides coverage to 35 million Americans across the country. And that company has to invest in technology, in systems, in processes, in staffing development, in figuring out what are the breakthrough safety solutions. And if we did that in each state separately, we would never come up with the kinds of solutions that are enabled by our bringing dollars together, trying to figure out solutions, the support that I get to provide coverage and solutions to the, the part of the business I run is four million members in the state, but we have eight million members in the state. I'd never be able to do that on just my piece of your premium here in California. So I think the debate is, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's taken on sort of a fever pitch about going out over state lines, but, but I think the, the, the people I work with and, and live with every day would say that there is great value to us and to our members in that. In terms of how Anthem Blue Cross became the villain in the debate, um, you know, it was a debate that needed a villain. Uh, there had been uh, a um, uh, sort of a quiet in the, the storm, in the debate, and it was looking like healthcare reform was not going to get legs and was not going to pass. And I think that uh, it was important to resurrect the debate to have someone or something that ignited passions. And I think how it came to be Anthem Blue Cross was that um, we, we had poor timing in announcing rate increases. Unfortunately, though, it looks like it was explicit. It looks like you had a premeditated reason to do it, that you might get a contract down the line from the government. That's what it looks like. And people whom I know, they say, would you ask that question? Because we're concerned. That's what it looked like. And, and we're the Blue Cross people. Yeah. I'm sorry if it, it surprises me to hear that. I wouldn't have thought of it. I couldn't have imagined that. Um, and I can only speak from my knowledge and experience. And uh, it, my knowledge and my experience and my wish is that, that uh, 
uh, that we hadn't. Um, so I, I, you know, the idea that we would do it deliberately for some reason, it, it's, it's just absolutely the furth furthest thing from my mind and, and the mind of anybody that I work with. Scott, you had your hand up. Well, I was just wondering if, you're, if, if any thoughts have been <coughs> given to outcome-based uh, medicine. Um, you know, it seems like I always try and find in, in situations what motivates somebody. What is the motivation to keep someone alive? Um, is it the dollars that they earn from it? Because maybe that's backwards. Maybe they should make more money if they, if they keep them alive. Uh, but if they die, they don't get as much. I mean, I don't know, it's kind of absurd. But, uh, <laughs> it's Scott. <laughs> He's an old friend. Scott and I used to work together. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if you could hear his question. It, it had to do with whether or not there was wisdom and reason uh, to think about reimbursement differently and think about reimbursement based on outcomes. Uh, absolutely, absolutely there is. It's a huge part of what we could tackle uh, and what we need to tackle to think about um, reform of reimbursement. Um, and, the, you know, the interesting thing is that medical groups and hospitals are ready for it as well. We have a number of efforts underway right now looking at how you, how you think about episodes of care, how you think about rewarding outcomes. Um, one of the things I didn't mention but I had in my notes is thinking about even just how we structure coverage differently. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if, and important, if we created sort of a basic health insurance policy that rewarded prevention. You think about the crisis in American healthcare right now, you think about obesity, you think about lifestyle habits, and, and we always, you know, as, just as a people, we tend to think about <laughs> what are the sticks that we can employ to stop people from doing things. But what if we created an insurance policy that was that went across the state, uh, that, had, uh, that was available to everybody, that was affordable, maybe didn't have everybody's favorite mandate in it, but it had 100% preventive care and it gave rewards to people for healthy lifestyle, for engaging in diet and exercise and those sorts of things. It's, it's just reframing the question a little bit, but that reframing is so important. Nobody wants to be penalized. Nobody wants that, and it causes people to stand up and be angry and resist. But if you reframe it, you get to the same issue and you get to it in a way that is so positive. So, Scott, it's a terrific question and it's, uh, I'd actually love to work with you on it. I, uh, um, we have so many people who are trying to think this through and, uh, and I think we could use a, a few more really good heads on it. I have about a hundred questions, but I want to avoid your program to improve hospital safety. That seems like something that could be easily scaled across the country. So does that? Uh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No. Uh, th the question was, are um, collaborative for patient safety, it's called Patient Safety First, a California Partnership for Health. Um, the question was, it seems like it could be scalable or leverageable across the country. Have we thought mm -hmm. of that? Absolutely. 
Um, it, is, it is so scalable. Um, what I wanted to do with it, and I partnered with the hospital association CEOs up and down the state, what we want to do is, is launch it across California. We've picked as our initial areas of focus uh, just three areas. One is eliminating sepsis. The second is eliminating um, certain, um, they're called central bloodline infections, uh, uh, infections uh, associated with uh, certain uh, procedures in, in hospitals. And the third is a slight variation on the theme. Um, and it part in that, we partner with all of the hospitals, but we've also partnered with the March of Dimes. And this one is about providing education and communication to mothers and families and physicians in informing about the risks of making voluntary decisions, elective decisions to uh, have early delivery, to induce labor before the full 39-week uh, period of gestation. The risks of that of those decisions for convenience of the mom or availability of the doctor or for comfort. If it's medically necessary to have something like that early, that's, that's perfect, that's fine. But so many people schedule around matters of personal preference or con convenience. The dollars at risk, the safety of the children um, and the lifetime of illnesses that result from that decision are, it, it's extraordinary. We have a bit of a debate in our company about just how much money is at issue over those decisions, but it is many tens of millions of dollars just in our own patient population. So if you take it and scale it across the country, I mean, if, if you could take just that and marry the March of Dimes and drive that change across the country it is, it, we would have such dramatic improvement in health and such dramatic reduction in cost. So I'm all for it. I'll leverage this anywhere that we can. I, what I want to do is take this pilot in a way that I'm sure we can make it successful, get the kinks out, and then replicate it across our organization and share it. I, I think all the health plans uh, should join in. I don't view this as a proprietary thing. I, I just think it's a responsibility that we have to improve care. Got two questions here. First, and then we'll go to that one. Could you go back to preventative care and uh, talk to uh, any initiatives that Anthem Blue Cross currently has? And you also mentioned something about rewards. I thought that was a fantastic idea, but how do you measure? What are the metrics for that? You know, I, I, I can talk with you about it at a, at a very high level. I, I think the, the point I really want to make is everybody is doing work around prevention, having on-site uh, wellness programs, uh, doing work. We, we work with individual members and we work with employer groups around exercise and fitness programs, around healthy lifestyle choices. Uh, we partner. Uh, one of the things that uh, Tim Jordan on my team and I have been working on is, is working with 
the major athletic teams around California and getting them to come to the schools with us. Uh, we work with the Lakers and the Dodgers. We, uh, we are the primary funders of the Governor's Council on Physical Fitness so that we can go out to the schools across the state and we do it ourselves but they don't want to see a bunch of insurance executives so we bring people like Lisa Leslie and uh, uh, Lila Ali people who kids look up to and we have them come into the schools and talk about fitness nutrition teach them ball handling skills and it's it's a really fun kind of dynamic thing it's the, the point is it is a it is an area of such great opportunity and it's it's about instilling the the practices early on in kids lives um, so that their practices and habits that they hold for life I think that's a huge part of it but but it also can come in the form of designing products it can come in the form of having healthcare coaches which we have people who uh, see an issue or work with a particular population. Uh, I, I think there are any number of ways to get at it. I, I, what, I, what I believe is necessary is to bring people together who know a lot more about it than I do, clinicians and dietitians and exercise physiologists, and figure out what would, not just what's the window dressing, not, not, not just what's the sizzle part of this, but what's the steak part of it? And where do we really expect to see results and then drive that? You had a second part to your question, and I think I've missed it. Um, the metrics, how would you measure if somebody is you know, exercising? I mean, blood work could be yes. misleading sometimes, for example. Yeah, I, you know, the, actually, um, I, I'm not trying to pass this back to the school, but that's an area where we really could use help thinking about what the design of a program would be, what the appropriate metric. I'm out of my league. I'm a labor lawyer. I haven't a clue. I know you have to measure it. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> I know you have to measure it. Um, and you have to track it. I was at a, a, a meeting, as you might imagine, I've been speaking a lot the last two or three weeks, uh, mostly with our customers and our hospital and physician partners. But one of the uh, people I spoke with at a, at a seminar a day or two ago uh, talked about um, uh, I, I don't remember the number precisely, and I'm sorry. It was uh, one of the, the one of the leaders, uh, one of the physician leaders at Kaiser, who said, with their new electronic medical record system, they can determine uh, obesity among all their uh, among all their members. They know exactly how mem many members are obese. And the interesting part of it was that he said, uh, uh, through the electronic medical records, they know that it's 36 percent of their population. Uh, through self-reporting, it's 26%. <laughs> it struck me so funny, and I was thinking, you know, that, that really gets to yeah. you need the appropriate metrics. I'd love, if, if, if anybody here wants to help us think about that, we'd love to. So That's great. I'm going to take one more audience question, maybe two, because I've got a couple people. Back, we had back row. Did you still have a question? Did you? Oh, it was about, uh, my question was about electronic uh, medical records, and okay. do you think that that would uh, improve patient safety? Uh, with hospitals, and I know Kaiser implemented that uh, system, and it seems to uh, be working uh, from a physician standpoint. Yeah, the, the electronic medical records are an important part of any piece of health uh, healthcare reform, and it's it's more the the voluntary non-governmental. Although there could be a governmental system, you could, I, I suppose, theoretically figure it out for a, a nation, but. 
uh, it seems to me that private industry can figure this out. What we have to do is figure it out in ways uh, that are non-proprietary uh, so that um, a hospital system, one, we have a couple of pilots going. We have one uh, up in Northern California, one here with Cedar sinai in Southern California with our medical records systems. Uh, the, the, the physician on our team, uh, Dr. Charles Kennedy, is the only health plan representative to uh, President Obama's uh, team looking at this very issue. Um, and what, what we've learned is that we have a very good system available and what we need to do is make it workable for the hospital to have interfaces with all the other health plans because otherwise they've got to have a, a, you know, a health net, a Blue Shield, an Aetna, a Cigna, whatever. And what they have to have is a system that works for all of us. I'm doing some work right now. Um, in fact, we have been leading the work uh, with the Department of Managed Healthcare and the Department of Insurance uh, and with the California Healthcare Foundation to look at something as simple as a common web portal um, I, I listened to doctors talk to me about what it's like to deal with so many insurance companies and they describe having to have 20 or 30 different passwords just to get into the system. That ought not be the stuff we compete on. Uh, we ought to figure that out, figure it out once for the industry. I mean, we talked earlier about taking cost out of the system and improving efficiency and eliminating abrasion. What a cool way to do it. Uh, moving to common credentialing for doctors. We all have our own credentialing forms and processes. We make physicians nuts. And there's, you aren't going to come choose Anthem Blue Cross because my form is better than the next. You're, you're going to choose us because we have the best network, the highest quality, the best service, best products, best prices. But, but we compete on stuff that is just silly. Um, and I've, I've put a call out to the entire industry to say, this is the stuff we can fix all by ourselves. We don't have to wait for regulation or legislation. Take one more question. Right you mentioned the difference between Medicare pay, what Medicare pays with private insurance pays. And it seems like when Medicare wants to reduce costs, they just, uh, they just reduce the amount of, of, of payout to the physician in the hospitals. Why don't private insurance companies do that as well, or, or take your price down to to what Medicare pays, what, what risk would there be for Anthem by doing that? I think there's, if you couldn't hear, the question was uh, when Medicare can't afford to, to pay or the costs get too high, they just ratchet. This was the question, not my statement. Uh, <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> Um, uh, they just ratchet down the, the reimbursement for physicians and hospitals. And, and the question was, why don't private insurers do that? Um, I, I think that that practice, whether it's done by the government or done by private industry, is what's at the heart of the healthcare care crisis. Um, what we do, what we have done for years and years and years and years, is simply shift costs. We move costs around in the system. So if the government ratchets down on what they reimburse hospitals and doctors for, and that it's the point where doctors and hospitals say they can't cover their costs, then those costs just pop up somewhere else as an expense. And, and what, what's been happening for years is that everybody fixes their little piece of it and then creates a problem somewhere else in the system. And, and the reason I'm so intent upon the kind of reform that I've described to you tonight is because 
it takes cost out of the system. It takes it out entirely. It reduces the cost of health care. And, and, and so then you can have responsible reimbursement uh, uh, in, in ways that, that everybody can make a fair and full living without um, having to, to engage in, in what I think is, is, uh, is not the most constructive behavior. I know we've got lots more questions in the audience, but we do need to be uh, good about finishing on time, and, and it's been really a wonderful conversation. Let me close with this question. It's, and you, you've been at Anthem Blue Cross for just a couple of years, but you're obviously in the middle of uh, one of the most interesting times to be in that kind of a role. But, you know, at, at the end of your career there, whenever that might be, um, if you could look back on your time there and say, you know, the one most significant thing that I helped influence was... What would that be? Yeah, it is. It's so clear to me. I've never been more passionate about anything in my life than what we've talked about here tonight. If I could look back at my career and say, through my seat at Anthem, I was able to bring together the stakeholders across the system of care to solve these critical issues of, of cost, quality, and safety so that, in fact, we could provide affordable access to care across the state and across the nation. I, I can't think of anything I'd be more proud of. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much thank for sharing you. with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Good. We have a gift for you, and because you love our campus so much, it's a, actually oh includes a picture of our <laughs> campus. So. Um, I didn't even tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when you can't come see us, you can just put it on your wall in your office and you can look at it. So thank you so thank much you for so being much. here. Thank you so much. What a it's wonderful great. gift. It's great. Thank you all.